Hey Twitter, I'm Isaac Fitzgerald, he is Saeed Jones, it's Monday, and you are watching AIM to DM. Eat the rich. The layoffs here at BuzzFeed continue across the company. Here's a tweet from BuzzFeed UK media and politics reporter Mar Di Stefano. Management has just told BuzzFeed UK staff 17 of 37 editorial roles are proposed to be cut in London. Majority losses to the UK Buzz team and also cuts to news and the celeb teams. And then there's this tweet from Vera Bergengrun, who was herself impacted by last week's layoffs. Over 300 of us at BuzzFeed have signed an open letter demanding the company pay out earned paid time off to its recently laid off employees, which they are refusing to do, except for those in California where it's law. Now, Saeed and myself have both signed the letter along with 463 of our coworkers, and I believe that number is rising today. It is out there on Medium. You can read the whole letter, but I just wanted to say that I think it is embarrassing mm. and absurd to work for a company that puts such an emphasis on this idea of all of us in it together, mm -hmm. all of us as a family, and then refusing to pay out PTO, paid time off, except where it's law. Right, and I think that point is really important, that it is it is earned. This is this is earned time off, and it's important for context. Um, it, paid time off is an important part of how news works, how breaking news in particular works. We often have breaking news reporters and editors on the show, like Stephanie, like Tanya Chin, like David Mack, who we of course all love and admire, and you know, it's very often, or Julia Reinstein, that uh, they may be asked to cut their weekend short, to work 16-hour days because there has been a mass shooting somewhere or a natural disaster, and they are flexible, they give up their personal time and delay their much needed time off to keep working in support of the mission here at BuzzFeed. Jonah Peretti directly has benefited from these employees sacrificing their time off in pursuit of their work. So to now have more than 15% of our coworkers uh, being laid off across the globe and being told that they're not going to receive that earned paid time off unless it is literally in matter of state law is shameful, it's embarrassing, and I think it simply evaporates any trust uh, that Jonah is going to have with his own team. Yeah, yeah, with the people that have not been laid off, but are staying here and continuing to work. Of course, our thoughts are with our colleagues in the UK. They are also with our colleagues who will continue to hear bad news today throughout the company here in the US. That is going to continue into tomorrow. Um, and, and it is, it is just a heartbreaking time to, 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 to have colleagues that are leaving the company and to have people that still have to show up and do this work. So truly a shout out uh, to all of you. It's going to be a difficult day today. Yeah. It's going to be a difficult day tomorrow. It's going to be a difficult week. That said, I said it on Friday to any other companies out there that are hiring, hire these people, yep. not just the journalists, incredible journalists, incredible writers, incredible business people, incredible quiz makers, just incredible right. people that are leaving this company. They are so, so talented and they would be a huge benefit to whatever endeavor you are pursuing. Yeah, and I wanna highlight um, Katie Natopoulos, of course we love and she's been on the show many times before. She has a wonderful thread, I'll retweet it, where she goes through and explains how many people, not just were great for BuzzFeed, but literally helped shape the internet, the timeline, how we think about it, like Lewis Peitzman, who like created the first BuzzFeed quiz, that whatever, you know, so it really helped contextualize 
realizing the the impact um, that uh, these people have had on all of us. But also, we of course also want to thank the many people who have been very graceful, supportive. Thank you for Venmoing journalists and, and writers money for beer. You know, thank you for your notes, your DMs, for checking in, for offering advice, for talking to people about survivor's guilt. This has been incredibly difficult. Um, and for a lot of people, myself included, first time we've even gone through layoffs, right? We don't even know how this is supposed to go. And so by the grace of your generosity, uh, we are being able to get through this and we appreciate it. We really just want to say thank you so much uh, for your support. And that said, Jonah, do the right thing. Yeah, you're welcome to. Tweet us. Do the right hashtag thing. AM to DM Jonah. Well, shout out to French Twitter user Alexandre Morique. Alexandre, I'm so sorry if I just messed up your name. Uh, you tweeted, after seeing BuzzFeed layoffs, I decided to build a website aggregating these persons who are now looking for their next opportunity. Feel free to tweet me other BuzzFeed persons looking for a new job. And he, he basically created like a, a job posting page. Mm -hmm. Hire a BuzzFeeder. You can see the leak right there below us. Um, and, you know, talks about what they do, where they're located, and how to reach them if you want to benefit from this kind of misfortune here at BuzzFeed. Yeah, if, you, if you're looking for a hire, that's a great site to start with. Yep. But listen, not everybody has been supportive. Mm. Surprise, surprise. Some people have been downright terrible. And we're not just talking about the president. Uh, here's an alarming tweet from BuzzFeed News reporter Jane Litvinenko. Uh, four channels are targeting journalists with ISIS imagery and harassing journalists, har harassing reporters who have just lost their jobs from HuffPo, BuzzFeed, and other places. Uh, Twitter has known about this since Friday, and it continues. And here's a tweet from Ben Collins at NBC News. Hey, Twitter comms. You told me on Friday you guys were going to pay attention to these threats this weekend. If you can't do it when people tell you explicitly what's going on, when can any person expect to be even remotely safe from death threats on this platform? Well, Ben Collins joins us now. Ben, good morning. Good morning. All right, my goodness, thank you for reporting on this. Your piece went live on Friday. I read it, shared it, my goodness. Uh, what do we know about how all of this started and how it developed over the weekend? Yeah, so uh, on 4chan, there's a, poll, there's a board called Poll, which is the politics board. And uh, they, they determined that they would start a harassment campaign based on something benign, something that actually would be allowed on Twitter, which is the idea that journalists who just lost their jobs uh, should learn to code, which is uh, based on this meme that 10 years ago or something, uh, there were a bunch of like opinion pieces in places like NPR or the Wall Street Journal saying that coal miners who lost their jobs in like 2007 should learn to code. They were, they thought that to be retributive against journalists if they, they thought they would taste their own medicine if they told them to learn to code. But since it's 4chan, uh, everyone took this way too far. Everyone started mailing pictures of, uh, there's a Photoshop picture of Tucker Carlson wearing an Adam Waffen mask. Adam Waffen is a white supremacist group. <clears throat> and uh, in, that, uh, in that thing, it says, kill them all. And it has uh, two people hanging from ropes. And uh, it, it, it's, it suggests, it doesn't suggest, it says, they want to lynch journalists. Mm. Um, and uh, this was being sent to reporters who got laid off hours beforehand, and they were targeting journalists that were just laid off. And this didn't end. Like people, you know, there was ISIS imagery, there was other things like this. But if you got if you got laid off from BuzzFeed or the Huffington Post last week, you probably got one of these threats. Mm. Yeah, imagine that. You're going through that. You're going through probably one of the yeah. worser days of your life, and all of a sudden you turn to this app and and you're getting death threats. Mm. What have you heard from Twitter? Did you talk to them on Friday? And what have you heard since uh, this continued to go on throughout the weekend? Yeah, so I, I just want to say this pretty clearly. They've done nothing. 
They've done absolutely nothing. For 10 years, they've done nothing. And then they told me on Friday they'd do something, and they did less. So at some point, you have to view this as a lie, as an overt lie by this company to their shareholders and to their users. And their shareholders should do something about it. You can sue them for lying to you. Like, this is ridiculous. It's gotten to the point where you have 10 years of them saying, we're like, the most important thing on our platform is that users feel safe, is that people who are targeted by harassment campaigns, we figure, we figure out how it's happening and we stop it. And they've done nothing. Like, it's got, it got worse. There's a guy who sent me ISIS imagery last night. He was suspended for 12 hours. And then he sent me ISIS imagery this morning. What's the point of this? What are we doing? We have to take a step back and look at Jack Dorsey, who went on a fast this weekend and, and talked about how wonderful his fast was and all this stuff. But people who have just experienced one of the worst days of their life made worse by a bunch of people who want to kick people when they're down. What is the point of this website if we're just going to let a guy who has no connection to the users on it take, take you know, the most ridiculous position and lie to its users and its shareholders over and over again that they're trying to fix it because they're not trying to fix it. Mm. And in the broader context of this, and thank you to speaking to Jack Dorsey. Again, Jack Dorsey, you're welcome to come on AM to DM anytime and confront you know, these questions. Um, what would you say about the president's comments about uh, journalists at HuffPo and BuzzFeed being laid off? Not to be like you know obsessed with ourselves, but like what does it mean to see journalists being targeted uh, by racist, anti-Semitic, uh, sexist imagery you know, from these trolls when also the president of the United States is openly mocking them? Right. To disassociate the last two, three years now, really, of Donald Trump's campaign against the press from this sort of thing, this sort of behavior, um, you know, the poll message of our unfortunate was very uh, committed to electing this president. To disassociate those two things is, it would be a stupid thing to do. It would be uh, disregarding facts, frankly. Uh, this, this guy has created a climate that is fervently, he calls him the enemy of the people. You know, it, it, it creates a climate that makes it so people who uh, don't have the sort of, uh, I guess, commitment to staying within reality uh, that, that he might have, uh, they go and do stuff. That's what you saw with, with the shootings in Maryland last year, too. He creates a climate where people, he gets people whipped up and riled up, gets people extremely angry, and then eventually somebody goes and does something about it. And that's not useful for anybody. It creates a, a climate where, you know, people who want to be violent will be violent. And that's that's what we saw over the last year. Absolutely. And that's what we saw. Well, Ben, thank you so much for your reporting. I hope you continue to hit this story hard. And thank you so much for coming on the show. Absolutely. Sure thing. Thank you, guys. And uh, a tweet we wanted to point out from The Atlantic's Adam Sower. We, of course, love Adam and his work. Gloating about people being laid off is like being horrible to service workers. It instantly tells you everything you need to know about a person. And I just could not agree with that more. Because, of course, we have journalists who have lost their job who are dealing with death threats. Mm -hmm. And then you also have people doing the, like, learning to code aspect of it. Or maybe uh, right-wing commentators openly mocking Americans who are losing their job. You also have gleefulness kind of on both sides in some camps that I've seen, mm. and I just want to call that out. Mm. If you are taking any joy or any schadenfreude from this, really take a look at yourself and think about what that says about you as a person, because I agree mm. with Adam so much, that's such a clear line to me. Somebody treats a waiter like shit, that's a shitty person. And I would say the same is true of this situation. Further, and I also just want to point out as well, again, the president's tweets, uh, you know, I don't want to honor them with too much attention, but 
I mean, look at all the investigations, look at the work and the, that these journalists are doing at BuzzFeed, at, at HuffPost, across the industry. Uh, when someone like that, Donald Trump, rejoices in journalists losing their jobs, it makes me respect and even more enthusiastic in my support of those journalists. He's scared, and this is what a scared man looks like. Well, here's a tweet from Jay Rosen. Business, Business Insider is trying an experiment this week in which his reporters are essentially not allowed to use Twitter or develop stories from it. Daily Beast reporter Max Tani had this to say about the Twitter ban. If you're an employee at Insider and have a tweet idea this week, please send it to me. And if it's good, I'll tweet it out from my account and take full credit for it. All right, Just Max. DM your, your tweets. Okay. <laughs> um, well, as the host of a live Twitter show, uh, we do feel obligated to demand some answers from Insider. We're about to get them. Julie Zevaloff West, editor-in-chief of Insider, joins us now. Julie, how dare you? <laughs> Well, I have to say, my uh, my staff hopefully won't be watching much of this interview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no one's watching. It's just the three no, of us. No one will know what I'm saying. <laughs> that's that's very fair. <laughs> so I got to ask, where did the idea for the band come from? Sure. So I'm, as as you guys know, the Twitter sphere really can sometimes be a fishbowl, especially in the media world where everyone in media is talking to each other. And uh, Twitter is really not where insiders' audience is. So this challenge to my team is an opportunity for them, hopefully, to think outside the box and start to uh, dig into other sources that they may not rely on as much and um, think about where else they can find news rather than just watching it, you know, flow down tweet deck. Yeah, I have to admit, I am genuinely curious to see kind of the takeaways, you know, over the course of your week, and you're welcome to come back afterwards to tell us about them. But I was curious. I, like, I would love to do that, yeah. Cool, totally. Um, it's a date. Um, but, you know, I wondered if you could say more about some of the problems you've noted. You said that Twitter can be a fishbowl. I've seen that as an editor, and Isaac has too. But can you give some examples of, of problems that you're concerned about? Uh, sure. So I think that, you know, one thing is reporters will see a tweet or a story that, that um, you know, gets tweeted from another news source or, you know, just appears in their feed and automatically at face value, they take that as the story. They say, this is the headline. This is what we're going to write. And I think, you know, rather than just being reactive to news and things that they're seeing, I would like them to really get out in the world and, and find stories and maybe talk to sources themselves rather than just see what's happening on Twitter. Mm. Uh, I also think that the people who spend all day on Twitter talking to each other are people who are really know what they're talking about, are very deeply involved in what's going on in politics and the news and are following stories 24-7. And I think um, it's important for our reporters to remember that they are not writing for people who know what's going on in the news 24-7. Uh, so that we need to be giving a lot of additional context in our stories and our headlines. And I think you lose a lot of that when you're just looking at Twitter all day and realizing that it's just journalists, you know, talking to each other. Mm. So I have to ask, before you thought about implementing this ban, was this something that you yourself do? Do you, uh, in your daily life, do you kind of stay off Twitter already? So I do. I have TweetDeck open on my computer during work hours, uh, but I don't always actually remember to open it in the morning. And I don't look at it when I'm not at work. Um, I certainly know that there is a lot of value to Twitter for journalists. Um, obviously, news breaks there. It's a great place for finding sources, for finding um, people to give context to a story. But I think that there are a lot of other tools at our disposal that we often forget about. Yeah. And just one last question again, and I'm so curious and people can look at like the guidelines and you kind of go over the nuances and that this is designed to inspire, not hinder uh, your uh, coworkers. Um, 
Is there a scenario in which this goes so well over the course of the week that it becomes a permanent rule kind of for Insider? Would you ever consider that? Um, I would definitely consider it. I think that, you know, my hope is at the end of the week that reporters and editors feel like they can be less reliant on on Twitter. Um, and hopefully some of them will want to adopt this on their own. I'm not planning on continuing, you know, the ban, uh, as it were, past a week. But um, if anybody wants to implement it themselves, that would be great. And, you know, we'll see. We'll keep considering what tools we use and how we ask journalists to use them uh, and encourage them to, to use them to their best benefit. All right, well, Julie, we really appreciate it. And like Saeed said, we will have you back on the show to hear how this all goes, whether the folks that work for you love it or hate it. I'm really excited (laughs) to see myself. Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, oh, I think she froze there. <laughs> she's, like, she's like, I'm out. She's nope. like, I'm done. She says, <laughs> Bye, Julie. All right, well, we want to take this question to the timeline. If your boss made you quit Twitter for a week, would you rejoice or would you revolt? Mm. Uh, let us know using the hashtag. We are contractually obligated to tweet. I it, checked. It, it is part of the job. Truly? Yeah, you it's, check, it's, oh, it's in the back. You don't know that? My man <laughs> shouting it out. Well, listen, uh, coming up, Saeed is sitting down with actor Angela Robinson from the haves and have-nots and hypnotist Chris Jones is here. and hopefully he can hypnotize me into forgetting this dumpster fire news cycle. But up next, we're going live from the district. I can't believe you're going to let him hypnotize me. Yeah, man, I'm doing it. Welcome back. We're going live from the district. Let's start with this tweet from Paul McLeod. The government shutdown will end for now as Trump gives in on wall funding. Mm, well, joining us now is BuzzFeed News Capitol Hill reporter Paul McLeod. Good morning. Hey, good morning. You guys uh, coming in hot this Monday, I see. <laughs> Don't got our- time for the bullshit, Paul. Surprised ourselves. Eat the rich, oh, Paul. Good for you guys. <laughs> We're fed up. We I'm really are. You. But, you know, I'm with you. Laughing to keep from throwing my coffee mug. Okay, let's focus on the government shutdown. Of course, it ended over the weekend, which was uh, great news for 800,000 federal workers. But what's going to happen in three weeks? Well, in three weeks, we're in the exact same situation as where we were in December, where there is no uh, appropriated funding, which means Congress has not passed a bill to keep the government open. And there is the same disagreement about what is going to happen uh, with the wall, whether or not they're going to spend money on the wall. Uh, Now, the obvious difference this time is that we just went through a disastrous 35-day shutdown, which Trump may have learned from some lessons from. I mean, to quote the classic movie Rounders, if you can't spot the sucker at the table, you're the sucker. And I think Trump went in not like, thinking Nancy Pelosi was the sucker, and thinking that her caucus was going to turn on her and that he, they could get Democrats on board with the wall. None of that happened, and he had to do this very embarrassing walk back on Friday but he's still insisting he's going to get his wall money this round of negotiations. So it's going to be open for three weeks. Uh, the first thought I have is, one, are federal workers going to get their payback? And two, how do we stop it from happening all again? Mm. <laughs> yeah, so yes, good news is federal, pay, uh, federal workers are going to get their back pay by end of this week, the government says, which, I mean, they missed two and a half full pay periods. And uh, I can tell you from being around Washington, D.C., it's really hit the economy here. I mean, bars, restaurants, Uber drivers, cabbies, like everyone is saying it's just dead. So these people will finally get the money that they are owed. 
But to how do we prevent this again? I gotta say, the odds seem on their face to be pretty high that we are going to have another shutdown in three weeks because Democrats are still not going to agree to $5 billion in border wall funding and Trump keeps insisting that's what he wants. But the optimistic spin I can put on it is, in the meantime, the people negotiating this next deal are members of Congress and members of Congress do not want another shutdown. So they've got three weeks to craft something and I suspect what we will get is a deal that includes border security but not a border wall funding that will allow both sides to walk away and say they won and Trump will quietly pass it into law and put out a tweet declaring victory and maybe we can avoid going through this again. Okay, well just know that if you're wrong, Paul, we'll have you back on the show and we'll play a clip of this segment and make you watch it. Um, I did want to ask about the state yeah, of the- Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I did want to ask about the state of the union address The because... rule of punditry is you're never supposed to point out when we're wrong. I oh, right. This is the reason I'm... I was getting into video. Well, I can say whatever I want, I'm never held to account. <laughs> Not on am to damn, baby. <laughs> Well, welcome to the new reality, Paul. We're all shaken up here. Yeah. Um, I did want to ask about the State of the Union address, just in that it became kind yeah. of a, a bargaining chip, it seemed, between Pelosi and Trump. When is, go when is it going to happen now? <laughs> we don't know. It's actually very funny because, so they're not going to have it on uh, January uh, 29th, which was, uh, what is that, tomorrow now? It was just not enough time. So uh, the original schedule day, that's off. Now, Pelosi and Trump have to negotiate a new day. The question is, is she going to let him have it in the interim? Because she was saying, we're not going to have a State of the Union as long as there's a shutdown. There's no shutdown right now, but there's only three weeks of funding. Is that good enough? Is she going to allow him to have it next week or the week after and then go into a shutdown right afterwards? I don't know. Maybe she'll be like, no, 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 we need a long-term deal before this happens. So we still have no idea what's happening with the State of the Union. Okay, so there's something to watch there. Uh, one last question I had, I, I, a lot of credit to Nancy Pelosi, and, and like you were saying at the top of this uh, segment, incredible to kind of watch that happen. It's hard for me not to notice, though, that when this really wrapped up quick, was when LaGuardia was basically, oh, oh no, yeah, that was funny. We we can't have any planes here. And then it wrapped up real quick. So how how much of this credit should maybe go for the fact that we actually started watching airports shut down. I, I actually think it's a big, big part of it. I mean, the polling had consistently showed Trump was being held responsible by a majority of voters for the shutdown. And that can be a benign feeling when people aren't actually getting hit by that. They aren't getting affected personally by the shutdown. But yeah, as soon as you've got your vacations canceled or uh, grandma and grandma, grandpa got stuck at Newark for eight hours, like that pisses people off. And they were gonna hold Trump responsible. I think the heat just got too hot and uh, Republicans are going to be like, all right, all right, as soon as when planes aren't taking off and landing, this is when we've got to stop this and we've got to walk back. And as you say, it was, just out, it was less than 24 hours later uh, when we started to hear those reports before they just gave, they gave in. Well, it will be interesting to see if we do it all again in three weeks. But thank you so much for joining us, Paul. See you guys. Bye. Talk to you soon. Well, listen, coming up, Saeed is sitting down with actor Angela Robinson from The Haves and Have Nots. And I'm going to go backstage and get hypnotized by Chris Jones. I'm super scared. But first, Stephanie is having a very important conversation about the state of LGBT media. Yeah. I told them I would not get hypnotized. Maxime Aristavi, you tweeted, Many U.S. newsrooms like to back diversity for publicity, but queer-oriented journalism telling ignored stories about widespread identity oppressions 
is still the first one to suffer in industry downturns. BuzzFeed News contributor Trish Bendix joins me now to talk about her story on the future of LGBT media. Hi, Trish. Hi, how are you? Good. So I want to point out that this story very oddly, coincidentally, came out as layoffs were affecting our newsroom here at BuzzFeed News. And we did lose some members of our LGBT staff from the newsroom. So the story was especially poignant today and on Friday for sure. Why do you think that layoffs are so catastrophic to LGBT media? Well, I think what's difficult is that despite the fact that the movement has gotten so much traction, the LGBT movement, um, and we've had much more visibility and representation in mainstream media, that our, you know, our own specific publications have still been struggling to keep up to be able to monetize, to be able to pay contributors. And frustratingly, that means that whenever there is going to be uh, an ax falling on, especially at, you know, like a BuzzFeed, that the more, um, the smaller departments such as LGBT might end up losing those contributors who are so valuable to a community that might be smaller or a smaller percentage than what is deemed to be more mainstream and assumed heterosexual. But, you know, then we lose all the stories from that community and we don't get the intricate nuances um, that come from an LGBT reporter being able to tell LGBT stories. It's not just here at BuzzFeed News, though. There's actually been a lot of LGBT media that's been suffering kind of behind the scenes of this bigger story that people keep talking about, about the future of media. There's been a lot of LGBT-specific publications that have shuttered completely. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, ever since LGBT media started, there's been so many publications and the difficulty in even writing this story, which was already like 7,000 words trying to, you know, include all of the history is that there have been so many of us because um, our LGBT journalism is so closely tied with the history of LGBT advocacy that um, many people who have ever been involved in the movement have probably been involved in some kind of newsletter, magazine, um, blog, some kind of thing to help spread the word because that's exactly why we were started was to help uh, build community, tell each other about events, recap events, meetings, things of that nature. So um, it's difficult though because those things aren't always very sexy to advertisers and that is how media makes money. Media makes money from sponsored content, from advertising, from business opportunities. And that doesn't always um, you know, help the LGBT or other marginalized communities, because something that I bring up um, that I wish I could also go more into is it's not just LGBT, it's, you know, Latinx, it's a black newsrooms, it's, it's papers that have, um, a, you know, a smaller reach, but they're all the more necessary. You actually in this piece talk about your own personal experiences. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I'm, like most other writers and editors, I got my start by being a freelancer and writing about, um, you know, writing about LGBT stories for other publications. And most of those were um, LGBT specific. But as time went on, um, you know, mainstream outlets like BuzzFeed or the New York Times or Entertainment Weekly were more inclusive. And so I also had clips um, in mainstream publications. But it was always interesting to see um, the kind of access you would be given if you were writing for somewhere like Vogue or Elle versus like After Ellen, which is where I started, which was a lesbian-specific site um, covering LGBT women. And, um, you know, the difficulty is, is that it, when you have like an After Ellen and you're owned by Viacom, which is when, who originally owned After Ellen when I started there, it was an independent site purchased by Viacom as part of their 
logo umbrella of LGBT sites. And so when they tried to profit off of Dr. Ellen and couldn't do it, then they either decided to fold or sell. And they ended up selling to Evolve Media, who then thought, we'll try to sell, we'll find ads for this, but find that in the LGBT space, there's already such a little amount of diversity budget that advertisers have. And then they also mostly want to advertise to gay men because that's the one that they see as having money. And also there's a problem because salespeople in, from my experience and also with all the other other reporters, editors and publishers I spoke with and advertising salespeople, most of the sales teams end up being straight. So they don't really know how to sell or how to promise for what kind of editorial the advertising is going with. So it's a weird sort of commerce and art um, and activism mix that doesn't always necessarily benefit the community that the LGBT um, you know, papers are supposed to serve, or publications are supposed to serve. It's so disheartening to see publications like After Ellen. I know you talked about Into as well, and I, I love your little your little dog there on your lap. It's okay. I know. I'm sorry. She <laughs> no, just no, wants no. to be a part of it. <laughs> no, no. We're always down for dogs here on AMC. Okay, good. Yeah. Do you? So, do you think? What do you think the next step is? Because we see a lot of digital media that has been incorporating LGBT content into their newsrooms. Do you think the next step is maybe legacy media? Should we just keep trying to start these new publications? What do you think the answer is? Well, I think that right now, the one thing that does give me some kind of hope is that there are so many, so many uh, local and regional LGBT publications that have still been able to survive. Um, many have folded, but some have been able, like the Windy City Times, Tracy Bame, the publisher um, of the Chicago-based LGBT longtime newspaper, um, still going, spoke with her for the article. Um, and that's because they work together with other local and regional LGBT papers to make sure that, you know, they, if one of them has a bad year, that it doesn't mean they have to fold because they kind of have a pool of uh, money that they, they help uh, band together. So I actually think like, Community, local support, but also, yes, legacy publications, as mentioned in my story, um, you know, magazines like Out and The Advocate are always going to have a lot more access and money and ability because they have been around so long. And so they are respected in that way. But they also have a lot um, against them in the way that they have typically had the same kind of um, face of what what their publications look like and who they represent. And for a lot of people that is cis, um, white um, like hard-bodied gay males. And although their staff is changing there now, unfortunately, out in the advocate have had the same issue, which is they constantly are sold. They constantly have to have someone else come in and say, oh, now I think I can sell this better or I can make more money off of this. So, um, you know, they definitely have to deal a lot more with uh, the, how we're going to balance the money part and the community part, because Unfortunately, advertisers, you know, aren't as interested in advertising in something like The Advocate, which is so vital to our community with news and political focus as they are without, which might be a little more like flashy, sexy, style driven. Well, it's definitely a puzzle that people are going to have to figure out because the solution can't be to just keep losing these LGBT publications. Thank you so Hope much not. for speaking with me, Trish. Thanks so much for having me. Up next, Saeed sits down with actor Angela Robinson from The Haves and Have Nots. And after that, Isaac gets hypnotized. Hello, my queens. I'm joined now by Angela Robinson, who plays the Ice Queen, Veronica Harrington, on the haves and half-nots. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. You know, I've been called an Ice Queen a few times myself, so, really? you know, I identify. What did you do to deserve that? You know, I just sometimes, when I'm just not in the mood, I'm not going to pretend to be. 
That's Veronica. I wanted to start because Veronica, girl, the tweets about your character uh-huh. are quite something. I'm going to read just two. Okay. K tweeted, never have I hated a TV character more than motherfucking Veronica Harrington. Ooh, the light. Oh, my gosh. I know. Well, wait for this. Uh, Charlie said, you know what? I want to punch Veronica Harrington right in her mouth. I don't even care if I fuck up my hand doing it. Just violent. My God, what is all this? I don't know. I can confirm for people watching, you are incredibly nice. Oh, You're wonderful. You. Uh, are people surprised when they meet you? Do they kind of confuse their your character with you sometimes? And they're like, yeah. oh, she's so sweet. Sometimes, but I think that's good. It just mm-hmm. means that we're doing... We're doing our, our job, mm-hmm. and people are getting invested in the characters, so I, that doesn't bother me at all. Okay, good, no. good, good. Is it, is it fun playing a character oh, like Veronica? The most fun I've ever had. Oh, good. <laughs> I get to burn down houses, I get to tear up furniture, uh-huh. and then go home and enjoy my life. <laughs> I love tear it. Tear up furniture, and then go yes. home and enjoy my life. Yes. Incredible. Have you, like... Have you learned anything from Veronica that, you know, like anything that you're like, well, you know, maybe maybe it is worth being a little stronger in this way or something like that? Mm-hmm. You know, I think there is a Veronica, a little bit of Veronica mm-hmm. in everybody. True. And I think fair. the only thing that separates mm-hmm. the Veronica of the haves and the have nots from other people mm-hmm. is good home training in Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Otherwise, everybody has the potential to burn down a house. True, that's but true. But if they got good home training in Jesus, yeah. they might not. At least one of at the least two. One, Maybe at least both. One of the two, and they may be all right. Oh, I like but that. But it's a little bit that's in everybody. Fair. And that's, that's that's human. Yes. That's human. Yes. Well, you know, one plot on the show that's really interesting is your character's reaction to your son coming out. Yeah. Didn't go so well. What was it like kind of enacting that story? Oh, it was... You know, I, it was an honor for mm. me um, because I have so many friends with that story. Mm. And so I just really, really wanted it to be real. Mm. I did not want to sugarcoat it. Right. It didn't matter if people mm-hmm. hated me or not mm-hmm. because that kind of homophobia and hate really happens in the yeah. world. And so it was important for me to bring it to life and mm-hmm. be that, that hater for that moment. Mm-hmm. And what I found happened was wonderful that people who may have felt that way saw me oh. and said, oh, I don't want to be like that. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. interesting. Because <laughs> you know, they're like, wait a minute. Wait a I know minute. I don't like her and I don't like her behavior. Mm-hmm. And now she's saying things that maybe I've said. Yeah. Ooh, that's yeah. deep. And the same people will say to me, ease up off your son. Mm. And I go, oh, my goodness. Wow. That's ex- I wanted you to okay. feel for him. All you know, right. so Growth. It's, yes. Yes. <laughs> so, I yeah. love that. I yeah. love that. Well, you, of course, uh, just became a mom last year. Congratulations. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, are there any lessons in parenthood you've learned from Veronica? Maybe things not to do? Yeah, they things not to do. <laughs> not to do. About just about, about being controlling. Mm. You know, I since I've had my son, I realize now I things that I never uh, understood about my parents. Mm. You know? And I go like, you have this little life and you mm-hmm. nurture this little life and this little life grows up and want to tell you what to do. Right. You yeah. know, so I, yeah. get, I get it. But in the end, that little life becomes an adult mm. that you have to let fly. Mm. And that's what Veronica is unable to do right. that I hope I'm able to do. Okay, I like this. I am li- like Veronica is like a dark angel and she is <laughs> helping us all live a better we're, we're life. We're growing. 
also tapping into our inner better selves. I love that. I love it. I yeah. love it. Well, of course, you know, the Have and Have Nots is a Tyler Perry production. It's yes. on own, so I've got to ask about these people. Okay. What, what is something um, maybe surprising to the rest of us about working with Tyler Perry? Oh, wow. You know what? There are no surprises. Mm. What you see mm -hmm. is what you get. Mm. Tyler is funny. He's fun. Mm -hmm. He's very serious. He's hardworking, mm. generous, um, and the best boss I've ever had. Okay. Yeah. High praise. Yeah. High praise. Well, High you praise. also have you know worked with Tika Sumter, yeah, and I got to talk to her. She is yeah. so sweet she and fun. Is. She is. That's my sister. I love it. Yes, I call her my little sis, oh, only because it. she calls me big sis. Okay. <laughs> Otherwise, like, I'd be like, what? I love it. I love no, it. I love her. She's I a delight. She She's is. Really and so talented. Mm -hmm. Doing so many wonderful things. Yes. Yeah, I'm yeah. so proud. Proud Exciting. of her. Exciting. And then yeah. Oprah. The big O. What's it like having Oprah as like a boss? Like, do you, does she come through? Do you, does she like show up, you know, <laughs> mysteriously? She has. Oh my gosh. She has. I, um... I'm, I'm kind of used to it because okay. I uh, I was in the color purple, the original company, oh and she was the producer, wow. and so I got the pleasure of her being my boss that then too. too. Cool. And she would just show up. We'd mm -hmm. be backstage and hear the screams, and we would know, oh, Oprah's in the audience. Oh my god! And it would just change everything about the show. Really? Because it, just the level of energy, mm -hmm. which oh, Oprah's mm -hmm. here, Oprah's here. So and then to have her as my boss again yeah. on this show, I mean, what? Wow. How? I mean, wow. at what? How blessed am I? Too cool. I got it twice. I love it twice. I mean, twice. Yeah. I love yeah. it on stage and on the on screen. On stage and on the screen. On the small screen I now where our movies, we're going to do our movie next. Yeah. Open. No, <laughs> look at you. I, you better work. You better work. <laughs> I would be honored and blessed, but I'm, I, you know, these two times are great too. It's pretty so. good. And it's going well. It's going great. Well, we did want to indulge Veronica a bit. Oh, okay. Um, Is so, she here? Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna summon. We're gonna summon her. Okay. <laughs> okay. We um, a while ago we had uh, the wonderful Susan Lucian. Oh my and goodness! I know, she was so great. She's such a delight, and she dramatically read some of uh, some Beyonce lyrics. Oh. So you know, for 2019, we thought we could have you know a Veronica Harrington edition of Cardi B's tweets. <laughs> Are you up for that? Okay, good. I love her too. So we have them here. Yes. Um, and you can look uh, at here? this camera. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so you want this in Veronica's? Mm -hmm. Okay. That dick is the devil. <laughs> oh my God! I'm trying not to look okay, at you. Okay. 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 Um, why am I trending? <laughs> I am chilled. I am <laughs> terrified. Leave me alone. I will dog walk you. Wow! <laughs> you gotta get the real thing. You gotta get me because I like the real thing. I love uh, it. These expensive, these is rare bottles, these is money moves. I can do the real Cardi B. I love. Cardi I love it. She's ready. Oh my! Did you, I gotta ask? Did you know what dog walking? What it meant to dog some dog walk someone? No. I didn't either. Tell me. It's like you like grab them and like drag them. Like it's it's a Oh, you think we've done Veronica that a lot on the Heaven <laughs> Have Nots. We've all 
Muslim people all the time. You're like, oh, that's just another day that's at work. Another, <laughs> that's just another day at work. I love it. Well, Angela, it. thank you so much for thank playing you for along. Having so me. Thank fun. You. This is a yes. real pleasure. And it friends, uh, the haves and have nots airs Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. on OWN. Watch it, tweet about it, and you can see Verona <laughs> continue to rip people up. Um, right now, Isaac, my co-host, is backstage getting hypnotized. Uh, for his next segment, I, for one, am delighted to see. There he is, delighted to see how that goes. <laughs> All right, you've been waiting for it. I've been freaking out about it, but that's actually not how I feel. I actually feel very chill, if I'm going to be honest. Right now, I'm joined by Chris Jones, hypnotist and host of Facebook Watch's Double Take. Chris, how are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Let's just talk about your show real okay. quick before we get into us. What is the concept behind Double Take? I take celebrities mm-hmm. and I find their biggest fan mm-hmm. and then I hypnotize that huge fan not to recognize their favorite celebrity. That seems incredible, yeah. but also a little cruel. A little bit. Do they get to meet them after? Of course. <laughs> okay. And all these celebrities have been fantastic. Like. We're expecting them to hang out with him for 20, 30 minutes, mm-hmm. you know, sign something. And like John Cena spent 90 minutes with this lady and her fiance just having wine, talking about her feelings. She got to cry into his huge torso. What? You can see it. It's awesome. Yeah. All the celebrities have been great. That's so incredible. I, I, what, how did you get in? How does one become a hypnotist? One could go to Vegas and take classes. Okay. I went to grad school and wrote my thesis on hypnosis. You went to grad school for yeah. this? <laughs> uh, this is, so this isn't like a power? Uh, it's a learned skill, absolutely okay. a learned skill. Anyone who says that they were born as a hypnotist is probably delusional or lying. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a magician, but I wasn't good. I was too shy to practice. Mm-hmm. I would do magic at hospitals. Okay. And then I met a doctor helping women give birth using childbirth, using hypnosis. Whoa. So. Um, no pills, no shots, it's called hypnobirthing. Mm-hmm. So everyone knows someone who's, who's quit smoking or lost weight, but we can do incredible stuff. Michael Strahan, got hypnotized to improve his football abilities. Tiger Woods for golf, Mike Tyson for boxing. Really? All this stuff, yeah. And people are like, I don't believe it, Google it. That's what I say. Just, uh-huh. We have a supercomputer in your pants pocket. Yeah. Just, just fact check it for two seconds. That's absolutely incredible. What stops you from like just taking over the world? You need to have a certain level of intelligence to be hypnotized. Okay. Some people are also, you have to touch them to influence them. Oh. Okay. So like if I saw Donald Trump, I, I would have to touch him. Secret Service would shoot me. <laughs> uh, and uh, I would fix some things. Like I'm from Chicago. I, mm-hmm. If I could, I'd be like, just put down guns mm-hmm. and um, I'd be good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would be good. But you got that it's, it's got to be a more intimate process. Right. That, that's what you, right. So just just for those that are just joining us, we were just backstage and you and I just chilled on a couch. Yeah. And that's why I don't I feel very chill right now. That's all I can say. Yeah. Like I feel super <laughs> chill. That's and that's, that's it. That's what and I want. That's it. And we'll see how they edit. I can't go on TV and just say stay with my voice because people watching with their cell phones could fall asleep driving. Oh, they don't sugar. even have. Yeah. Oh, sugar. They can't have hypnotists do it over the radio too because of the exact same problem. Okay. Like, I was like, oh, just do it for everyone. It doesn't work that way. Like, uh, I, I, I've gotten messages from India, and they're like, come to India and end domestic violence. I have a whole email folder of people from all over the world asked me to cure them. Right. And I'm like, I can't cure you. I can just aid in your health. Aid in your health. So what did you do to me? So we sat on the couch. We you never sure? met me before. We sure your did. Your friends were here. They were recording. I said the right words in the right order with the right pace. And uh, if we can share, you have 
something that you're not comfortable with. Yeah, I don't like doctors or right. dentists. Okay. Yeah. And so hypnotized you, had you go back to your first encounter with a doctor, mm -hmm. and you didn't have a problem with that. Mm -hmm. You said you had a good experience. And I said, imagine picking up the cell phone and, and calling a doctor right now. You said your anxiety would be a 10. Mm. That's what you said. Mm -hmm. Do you remember this? Mm -hmm. yeah. I like, the conversation is like there? Yes. Does that make sense? It does. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay, okay. I, I, it makes sense to me. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, it, it's, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Uh, it's mm -hmm. kind of like if you had a few drinks and you're feeling relaxed, but you're, you're not anxious. Yeah. It's a very clear head feeling. Maybe a little CBD action going on. That's even better. Yeah. Yes, Canada. <laughs> uh, okay. So, so, so you talked to me about that and... And we're, we're still going to have to go deeper and explore that, but I think we're going to have uh, a couple fun, nice things over here. Let's do it. Let's do that. Let's do that. Ready? Ready? So the only important thing is uh, your legs can be in a good neutral position. Your hands can be on the table. Okay. All right. You can keep your balance. You can pick one spot, maybe that red spot. That okay. Two. That yeah. Two. One, two. Deep breath in. Relax and let go from the top of your head to the very bottom of your feet. Relax every muscle, every nerve, and every fiber. You're keeping your balance. In a moment, you're going to come back. The first suggestion, we build layers. You can't pronounce your own name. This will not embarrass you. But for the next 30 minutes, I'm here for 10, you can't pronounce your own name. It's a little stutter, little speech impediment. I had one. It happens. Three numbers, you come back. Can't pronounce your name. Three, two, one, wide awake. Uh, I did a little research. Mm -hmm. You were a fireman. Yeah. And uh, you received a sword. I did. Lived on a boat. It's same. All right, Chris Jones, real pleasure. Your name again was? It's... What? Don't drop that F-bomb. <laughs> Pick it up for you. Wait, say that again? Uh, your, I didn't say it. Your name, of course, is? Fitzgerald. That's not how I'd say it, though. That's my last name. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? Okay, so... <laughs> It's okay. No, okay, sorry, not, sorry. No, 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 no. I just want you to know, like, this is the fun that I do. Okay. Double Take is a great show. It's a fun show. We <laughs> hang out with the celebrities. Uh, it's, it's all for a bigger purpose. <laughs> I, but hang on. Does it work what? on everybody? I can get 15% of an audience. Okay. So, and uh, it, it's just a matter of rapport and timing and pace and trust. You obviously trusted me. You and seem like a good dude. I hope so. Howie Mandel, he shook my hand. He trusted me. If you're out there, Howie, I'm sorry. I didn't do it to be a bad person. <laughs> uh, you do, you do, you apologize. I've apologized. Well, I will say that. I, <laughs> For I, the record. I, mm -hmm. I'm just bad. Keep going. Keep uh, talking. You have a colleague in the back. I don't know if it's time to meet a colleague or try something with a colleague. Okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, bring them. If, yeah, if they, yeah, go or, ahead. Anyone. I'm just going to sit on. I, let's see if... Is it more? Ah, that's good. H2, oh yeah. Okay, that's Saeed. That I know. That's Saeed. I know Saeed. who that is. Saeed, yeah. Saeed Jones. Saeed, yeah. I'm Chris Jones. Saeed Jones. That's Saeed. Yeah, your okay. name? Your first name? <laughs> it's a good day. It's a good day. That's Saeed. No, you're that's Chris. <laughs> that's Jay. I think Henry's usually over there. He's over. Okay. So, yeah, go. And last, this is, I'm gonna wrap soon because I need to figure out what my name is. Fitzgerald is good. Fitzgerald is good. is good. Do you have any last uh, comments or, or, or anything to say to the people? Uh, I, I want to. You know this person here. Are you comfortable coming on here? You, you, 
You want to come here? Yeah, yeah, come on up. Please. Come on, Haven. Uh, don't be shy. Come on. What's your name? I'm Haven. Haven. Yes. You seem wonderful. Yeah. You know Haven. How yeah. long have you worked with Haven? Uh, like uh, six months. Cool. Yeah. All right. Relax and let go. Every muscle, every nerve, and every fiber. In a moment, I want you to recognize her. She seems like a wonderful person. You are in love with your fiance, but she is a very good person. You haven't seen her before in your life. This will not cause you any anxiety. You can't recognize her face. You don't recognize her. And you don't know her name. Three, two, one, wide awake. Uh, Chris, real pleasure. Hi, nice to meet you. Uh, where are you from? Um, I'm from Long Island. I want you to meet my friend. Introduce yourself. Hi. Hi. Your name is? No idea. Okay, and she is? It's like the memory is there, though. There's something. That's it. Chris, thank you so much for joining me today. That's it. That's it. Say goodbye to everybody. Thank you. Hi. Dream big dream. Okay, let's take it to the timeline. What would you want Chris to hypnotize you into doing? Let us know using the hashtag AM to DM and tag Chris so maybe he'll do a few house calls. Double take is on Facebook. Watch. Check it out. Up next, Saeed, whose name I know, and Fitzgerald are reading your tweets. <laughs> what the hell is going on? He and looks like Can great. you outdo it? Yeah, it'll snap out of it. Uh, that was <laughs> insane. So I want, first of all, I was watching backstage. We, they recorded me watching you, so we'll put it out so you can see. Um, I want to say I know Isaac very, very well. And two things I noticed is I noticed his body language was different. And I can tell when Isaac is really trying to, like, remember something and struggling. And you, it was very clear. Like, your name was literally on the screen at one point, And you... <laughs> I can see it now, Saeed and Isaac, I remember it. But I will, I don't, oh, you don't realize, they, he showed you a picture of me and you, you knew me. So, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Oh, man. I, I, man, let me, I feel very chill. Yeah, I was like, how do you feel now? You're not. I was very surprised when he told me he went to graduate, he told me that backstage too. He's like, I went to graduate school for this. Oh, so that is geez. like, I was like, Hogwarts? Where, where how do you feel you? about doctors now? I don't know. <laughs> Which is not what the answer to that question is supposed to be from me. Because you hate doctors. Yeah. Huh? I'm going to have to think about that. Well, listen, we asked you if... I'm, I'm sorry, man. This, this is gonna, incredible. This is going to be a wild yeah. ass. But we asked you if your boss <laughs> made you quit tweeting for a week. Would you rejoice or revolt? Mousy Core says... I mean, my boss doesn't need to know I'm sneaking every morning, does she? That's so funny. Well, oh no, sneaking AM to DM. Yeah, yeah, that was nice. Yeah, I've heard. I like. I've I've heard of a few of you have mentioned that you schedule a consistent meeting every 10 AM. Yeah. Some people have it open as another window, and are we really listening. appreciate that? I just need to ask: Was I hypnotized to not read AM to DM when I read that tweet, or was that <laughs> actually a prompter? That was up? just a prompter. I'm gonna be worried. I'm gonna be worried about you, that all see, day. That's how I know it worked. Because also, mm. when Isaac's voice starts going up. Up. He's, mm. he's stressed. So, mm -hmm. um, Lily had this to say: um, After the shitstorm that's going on this past week, I'd be more than happy to quit Twitter for a week. Hell, make it a year. Yeah, I mean, you know, taking t and listen. Obviously, we love Twitter. We do. You know, I do. Um, I take breaks. I, mm. you know, I love actually scheduling things mm -hmm. um, to force myself not to be on my phone. Wow. I love that. Like, like I, I got a massage this weekend, thank goodness. Um, and it was a delight in part because my phone had to be off, nowhere near me, you know? Yeah, I'll say this. Listen, when you love something, mm. you have to demand the best from it. And mm. that's how mm. I feel personally. I, like I that. love Twitter. My job would not be possible. My life, Twitter fundamentally changed my life. Mm -hmm. 
That's why I demand for it to be better. That's yeah, why I want to call right. Jack out. That's why we need to make sure there's more implementation to make sure this type of harassment, life threats, mm -hmm. death threats, don't happen on this platform. Yeah. I demand better of Twitter because I love it so And much. we're not going to stop talking about it. And that's not a surprise to people who watch the show. That's not a surprise to our partners at Twitter. Yes. If it's in the news, it's in the news. And that's true if it's Jack Dorsey. That's true if it's uh, 4chan people you know, tweeting death threats. That's true if BuzzFeed is in the news. And that's talk true about if it's BuzzFeed. And I, again, that I think that same feeling that I have, yeah. a place that I love, therefore I demand the best of it, is, is, is similar here. Alexis tweeted about the BuzzFeed layoffs. It would be so easy for them to just sweep it under the rug and refer to the layoffs more broadly. Instead, they're digging into the issues that are specific to BuzzFeed, and I appreciate that. Yeah. And that's all we know how to do. Right. And the reason for that is because for the last five years, I've worked at a place like BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed never taught me to ignore the truth or to ignore the conversation that's happening. Because of BuzzFeed, I feel comfortable being like, Jonah, do the right thing. Right, and, and again, I tweeted this in reply to you, um, Alexis, but Ben Smith, our editor-in-chief, and Shawnee Helton, you know, our executive, uh, you know, have been always been very clear of, about us uh, you know, being candid about how we feel when BuzzFeed enters the news. And so I, you know, will say that, you know, when the news broke on Wednesday, which now feels like an eternity, uh, within five minutes, Shani called me on the phone. And before I could even, you know, I was getting the news and I'm kind of shell-shocked. Um, before I could even think of it as a possible question, she was like, and I am not going to tell you anything about what to say on AM to DM tomorrow. I'm aware that it's going to be awkward for you two to be live on TV while this is happening, but I'm not going to tell you what to say. Cover it the way you cover any other news story. And um, I think that's part of why, even amidst all of this, we are able to come back and keep doing our job throughout it all. Absolutely. All right, well, thank you all, as always, for watching and joining us this morning. And thank you to our guest, Ben Collins, who was on fire. He came ready to Ooh, play. He was on fire. Julie Zevalov west We're going to talk to her after this little Twitter band. I love it. Paul McLeod, Trish Bendix, Angela Robinson, Stephanie McNeil, and hypnotist Chris Jones. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about Chris Jones, but I feel pretty chill and relaxed now. I will also say this. Again, our love goes out to our colleagues. Absolutely. Our love goes out to all the folks that have to show up and do their jobs yep. today. Good luck today. Today is going to be hard. Tomorrow will also be hard, but we will be back here tomorrow at 10 a.m. Have a great rest of your day. You deserve it.